Welcome to the Provo Pick and Roll podcast. Joining me today is the planner of urban environments, PS3 NCAA football campaign champion, and anime enthusiast, Brady Hill. How are you doing, Brady? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I actually have been wondering um, if you are able to tell me which um, NBA announcer recently retired from TNT, if you know what's that guy's uh, Marv name? Albert. Marv Albert. Mm-hmm. So does that mean all of them are gone? Like, is this a new wave? Because he has some pseudonyms for like other... He was just getting too busy. So he just wanted to take some, uh-huh. a little bit more time off. So now he's just going to be Kevin Harlan and uh, Mike Breen. Okay, just his other personalities. Will just still his exist. other going pseudonyms. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah, and if you notice, like Mark Mike Breen actually did like a touching piece for him during one of the games. So mm. that's like, not that's impressive. You can do a yeah. touching piece for yourself, like yeah, I know. Wow. Like man. it's a whole new level oh. of mind games. But yeah, yeah. For those of you who um, haven't been following the podcast um, previously, on another episode, we had um, commented on how Kevin Harlan, Mike Breen and uh, Marv Albert all sound like they're the same person. And we're pretty convinced that they are the same person. Like they have like so their own like go-to phrases and they try to sound mm-hmm. a little different. But, but their voices are identical. They're basically the same. They're the same person doing the same yeah. thing and they're just disguised in different ways on, so they can make more money. So they can like be on ESPN and on TNT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. He's a smart man, Kevin Mike. Marv. I think it's like three like um, farewell. Yeah, three retirements. Like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Okay. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting when Kevin Harlan and Mike Breen both have to retire at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> just just coincidentally. It'll be even more if he like passes away unexpectedly, and it's like <laughs> like wow, it's they like, both passed away both the exact gone. same day. Wow. <laughs> fishy yeah for sure Mm. anyways yeah well yep with the with that also i just wanted to point it out brady i am so um honored that you have trusted me enough to to open this segment that was a big honor for me um can't tell you how you know the feeling that i have right now it's great i'm on top of the world yeah that's good that's good anyways thanks i appreciate it Anyways, moving on to our uh, segment today, um, the NBA Finals wrapped up this week, so we definitely wanted to spend some time uh, discussing what happened there. Um, and then um, also in this segment, we just were reminiscing to the NBA greatness and times of old, and something that was brought to the forefront of our minds were the great NBA nicknames that have been thrown around throughout the ages. So we wanted to do our top five list of those. But first, let's discuss the NBA Finals. So Brady, what were your thoughts on how the NBA Finals between the Bucks and the Suns played out? Um, went six games, um, Suns won the first two, but then Bucks swept the last four. So yeah, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting series to watch. It was really fun. It was a really good Finals, I feel like. Um aesthetically and, and as far as some of the games coming down to the end like game five was exceptional uh from a watching experience especially the last like six minutes of that game it was back and forth and the suns come back and they are three points down with the ball and then they have the turnover where 
that great steal by Drew Holiday and then the the and one alley-oop to, to Giannis to kind of put the game away. Like that was, that was fun to watch in that game five. Um, well, and then the game four with Giannis's block on DeAndre yeah, Mountain on the alley-oop. That was crazy because not only was that an extremely athletic play for him to be able to pull that off, he had to get the timing perfect on that yeah. because he was guarding Devin Booker when he threw the lob and when yeah. he was able to time his jump perfectly as he was turning around the opposite direction to jump and reach DeAndre Ayton at the top of his uh, jump yeah, man. and block that shot. I feel like they, they, that play got some love like after the game, but I feel like the, the broadcast team and like ESPN missed they didn't really understand what happened because they yeah, didn't they just like, do any replays or do anything like during timeouts. And I saw that play immediately. I was like, wow, that was amazing. Like, like that was the crazy. best block in a long time since probably last year since uh, Bam's block. Who did he block? He stuffed someone really uh, Jason really Tatum. Hard. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, block Jason too. Tatum. And that was, yeah, that was in an overtime game in the Eastern Conference Finals and a very pivotal moment and – um, which helped push the Heat to to going to the NBA Finals. So, yeah, big-time block as well. Um, there has been talk about, is that now the best block in the NBA Finals? And they're comparing it to LeBron's, LeBron's block in the 2016 Finals. And I would agree. I would say it's not because the timing of LeBron's block, because that, like, sealed the NBA Finals the victory for yeah. the championship for the Cavaliers. But as far as like athletic ability and like amazingness of the play itself, if we're looking at the play itself. I think Giannis's block is more impressive. Oh, that's true. As as it's that more goes. it's more impressive, but it's not better giving all. Yeah, the like it's not a better the moment. weight. Of it's the not a better stance, right? Yeah, it's not a more memorable moment, but it is mm-hmm. more impressive. If you want to, yeah, if you want to just have that argument. No, that's definitely true. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, the but finals yeah, was really um, good. I really enjoyed watching the NBA Finals. Yeah. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching the NBA Finals because I feel like this playoffs run for the Milwaukee Bucks was just such a great story of overcoming adversity because throughout their whole run, they really faced a lot of tough challenges. Starting off with the first round, they had to face off against the Miami Heat. Um, which, if you remember to last year, was the team that um, overthrew them and upset them. Um, that prevented them from even going to the Eastern Conference Finals. So that must have been a hard thing for the players mentally to face that team again. And um, a lot of people probably don't remember this, but in game one of uh, the Heat-Bucks series this year, that game actually went to overtime. So if the Heat won that first game in overtime, it might have been a, a, a way different series. Um, and then the Bucks faced off against the Nets in the second round, and... Um, they went down 2-0 in that series, and they lost game two by 39 points. Yep. So that was impressive that they were able to come back from that series as well. Granted, they had some help with the injury from Kyrie Irving, um, but still. And then also losing game seven. Oh, I, I said, sorry, also almost losing game seven. If it weren't for Kevin Durant's feet being so big and stepping on the three-point line yeah. and with that shot that could have won the game for the Nets we wouldn't have seen the Bucks for the rest of the playoffs. So that was also amazing. Yeah, there was, there was some people I saw on social media that were trying to, like, kind of poo-poo the Bucks championship and saying, like, 
have to think about how, like, what does a championship really mean when you consider if Kevin Durant's toe had been like a couple inches behind the line, they would have won that series and the Bucks never would have won. And so when you're analyzing the Bucks championship, you need to like have some perspective. And usually I'm all for like perspective and like nuance and discussion and all that, but that's a garbage take in my opinion, because no, yeah, sorry, yeah. sports, you lose, you lose, you win, you win. As a Texas fan, they should have beat Alabama in the 2009 national championship game but Cole McCoy got hurt in the first, first quarter and they, they didn't, they didn't win. And so, but I can never say that Texas is the national champion because they're not, they didn't win. It didn't mm-hmm. happen. Sorry. Like that's how the things go. Um, yeah. If his, if his toe had been behind the line, then the, then the Nets would have won, but guess what? It wasn't. And if, and if Kawhi's crazy buzzer beater shot against the 76ers a couple of years ago, hadn't gone down maybe the 76ers would have won that year but it did it did go down so it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. th- that kind of nuance that's what sports is for is to is to declare a winner amongst um little itty bitty things that make up the entirety of the game and legacies are defined that way and that's how this one's defined so you can feel butthurt about it if you're not a Bucks fan or cheering for someone else, but they did what they had to do and scraped it out and 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 now they're the champions. So Yeah. No, I agree. I think I think um that series with the Nets just adds to um their accomplishment this year because to have the mental fortitude to to push on after that seven game series that must have been super taxing and then to turn around and play the Hawks, which we're actually like a, a pretty decent team this year. They're at least um, not at the end of the day. They're playing their best. Yeah. And then having to lose Giannis in game four and having to win games five and six, winning game six on the road without Giannis, that was impressive. Yeah. Um, so that just adds to how much adversity they had to overcome. And then it was so great to see Giannis at the end of that, um, that game, how emotional he was because this has obviously been something that has been, he's been working for for a long time. And, you know, just a great story because he wasn't highly touted um, when he first entered the NBA. He actually won the most improved in player award, um, I think after his second year in the NBA. So he wasn't always the um, all-star that we've come to recognize him to be. And so just to see him get to where he is now is uh is a cool and I'm sure a very rewarding experience for um, Milwaukee fans. Yep. And it's cool that he's stuck with his franchise. Yep. You know, he's shown that that's possible in the NBA. Now you don't have to switch around and form a super team with someone to, to, you know, to win. You can actually stick with the franchise you've been drafted with and have success there. Yep. And I know we've talked about that before, but that one championship for the bucks with him staying will mean more than probably most of LeBron's championships with these other, like they they will always love Giannis forever. Even if that's the only thing he ever wins, if he like breaks his leg and is never the same again, like he will always be legendary to Milwaukee in the same way that Dallas loves Dirk Nowitzki and always will just for that one one championship run and sticking it out. Like that's really meaningful to 
a place in a player like that. So that was cool to see. Uh, a question for you, I guess, is like we mentioned before, the Suns were up 2-0 in this finals, and then mm -hmm. that was that was it. They got they got swept after that. Did you see any particular changes? What what flipped in this series for you? Yeah, I think what it comes down for me is the performance of Chris Paul. And I mean, obviously a very important player for the Suns offense and, and um, their success overall. He just did not look like himself, especially those last four games. And um, the Suns franchise and Chris Paul himself claimed that he wasn't affected by his hand injury that he was suffering from starting from the Western Conference Finals. But I think it definitely played uh, a factor because you could see he just doesn't seem as comfortable handling the ball, especially with the full court pressure that he was receiving from P.G. Tucker and Drew Holiday. I think that really bothered him. And then he also just mishandled the ball quite a few times. Like there was times where he was trying to cross over, go behind his back, and he wasn't able to do it because I just think his hands weren't responding as, as well as they um, – you know, normally would. Yeah, because Chris Paul doesn't like turn the ball over normally very, you know, very often. He's pretty smart, very efficient, one of the best assist to turnover ratios in the league. So I think that was the biggest thing because, I mean, looking at the other players, DeAndre played, Ayton played pretty solid. He was a little bit timid, I will say, especially yeah. in the last game. He missed yeah. a lot of easy shots that he would normally make, but he still played his role he guarded Giannis pretty well. They really suffered when he wasn't on the court. That's another thing that I'll add real quick is I feel like the um, one coaching um, mistake that that was made throughout um, the finals, which um, Monty Williams kind of fixed at the end, was going to the small lineup when they took out DeAndre Ayton because once they took out DeAndre Ayton, the Suns plus minus went terrible. Like the Bucks just dominated with their size no one else could guard Giannis. They would try to put Jay Crowder on him, who's able to like kind of keep him from driving, but he could not stop him on the boards. Yeah. So that was a big mistake for me. In game six, they did put in Frank Kaminsky, which he he was good. Like he played his role and he he provided that size in there that they needed. So I think they should have done that earlier in the series. But um, anyways, but I did just want to point out the outstanding playoff performance that we saw from Devin Booker. He was phenomenal throughout all the games, except for perhaps the last game, he wasn't quite as good, but having a couple of 40 point games in, I think games three and four, and he, he was unstoppable. Yeah. Like they were throwing PJ Tucker, Andrew Holiday, some of the best defenders that we have in the league at him. And he was just owning them. Yeah. He, he hit wasn't some even pretty impressive, face. like mid range. And he, he, he was so fun to watch because he scores from all levels. He was, mm -hmm. he was at yeah. the rim, a lot of his mid-range game. And then if he was getting hot, he his three-point – he had a lot of three-pointers as well. He was very entertaining to watch. And he was very efficient um, and hit a lot of big shots when the Suns needed needed him to do so. So and he's really young. Um, mm -hmm. More to see from him in the future um, with just a little bit of help uh, from the surrounding cast. Yeah, and it's pretty, and then it's pretty impressive considering that this was also his first playoffs, not just his first finals, but this was his first playoffs in general. And seeing yeah. the level of performance that he was able to, to sustain, because the playoffs, if you make it to the finals, it's a long road. So it's hard to keep that high level of performance throughout those 
um, you know, 20 to 20, 30 games that you end up playing um, on the road to the NBA finals. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Um, but I don't, I want, I don't want to take away from what the Bucks were able to accomplish. They still played phenomenal. I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about in our last episode, how the, the Bucks offense was sometimes stagnant. I think that it looked so much better, especially like the last four games of the series. Mm-hmm. I think they figured out how to um, move the ball around a lot more and get other players involved instead of just doing ISO ball with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they involved Giannis in a lot more off-ball action that got him a lot better looks. So and He got a lot of second-chance points as well because Giannis mm-hmm. was dominating the boards the whole series, and that kind of got him going. He got fouled a lot. He did reasonably well from the free-throw line for him in most of the games, especially the last game. Um, and then the biggest thing, the biggest difference was Chris Middleton had a couple really big games where he was tearing them up, uh, especially late in the game and kind of put a couple games away. Um, and they were, they had a few actions for him. I noticed earlier in the game that were off ball. So they had kind of a screen coming over the middle of the paint and he crossed over around the free throw line and had the same mid range jump shot at the elbow. Like he hit that like three times in one quarter. And from then on, he was money the rest of the game. They got him a few easy shots. He got his confidence up and, and he was playing really well. Um, and when, when he and Drew Holiday and Giannis are all playing really well, I mean, that's, that's a done deal for most teams in the NBA. Yeah. No, yeah, the Bucks are an interesting team because undoubtedly Giannis is the best player on their team, but I feel like their success hinges more on Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday because I think we saw throughout the whole playoffs when some of the and some of those games Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday played pretty poorly yeah. and those were the games that they lost like games one and two on uh, in Phoenix they didn't play very well they shot the ball very poorly um, and it's just interesting to see that you know the star player doesn't have as much of an impact on the success like because well and that's but that's also just pointing out to how good Giannis is because he's so consistent in his performance. Like you come to expect him yeah. to perform at that level every game. So it really is just more dependent on those other players to step up and fill their roles. So in the whole defense, because Giannis is so athletically incredible and such a force, the entire other team's defense has to revolve around him. Mm-hmm. which leaves everyone else they basically just say we we can't let Giannis destroy us and uh these other guys are going to have to make shots and if they do then they win and if they don't then it's a lot harder so yeah it comes down to that it's pretty simple yep I agree and it, and then yeah so just to kind of summarize that um I just wanted to read Giannis's stats from this whole playoffs run. He averaged 28 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists. That's pretty impressive. And like and two blocks. Yeah. And so, yeah. And doing it both on the offensive and defensive end is pretty amazing. And then, yeah, with the blocks, like he had a lot of very timely blocks, like we had already mentioned. Normally, I think I feel like we, we've discussed this before, like normally blocks don't really impact the game as much because it's only like you're taking away a few field goals. So like how much does that actually impact in the whole grand scheme of things? But Giannis's presence at the rim 
completely changed like how the Suns ran their offense yep. and everything. So, yep, it was pretty amazing. And obviously, Giannis won the MVP, rightly deserved. And yeah, capped off a great playoff run. Shout out to uh, Texas alum PJ Tucker and uh, BYU Cougar alum uh, Elijah Bryant. Yeah. Elijah Bryant is an NBA champion. Yeah. Who would have thought? It's pretty funny. Not like he contributed much, but he did see some action. Yeah, he played. The end of the first games when they were it was garbage time. But... Yeah. He was in. So. He was weird. Like, didn't they added him on the team like right before the playoffs started? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. Why? <laughs> That's weird. Like, it was fine. It's good for him, but. Just for the BYU fans out there. Uh, some extra, they wanted some extra people watching their games. <laughs> They're going for yep. a different market. That's probably what it was. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Did you hear about the celebrations that happened after the Milwaukee um, championship win? I mean, just like... In Milwaukee? I mean, not specifically. I know they had, like, parade and stuff. I um. So the night after game six, it actually got pretty crazy, apparently, and... There were some shootings in the area and three Early. people actually got injured. So, yeah, I mean, I love seeing the Milwaukee fans because I feel like they brought back like the crowd environment, you know, from this last year where we haven't had that very much with the COVID pandemic and everything. And, you right. know, they were crazy. So many people camped out in the Deer District outside of the re- arena. That was awesome. But I think they got a little crazy. So. But thankfully, yeah, they were injured, so I think everyone's going to be able to make full recovery. But, yeah, yeah pretty well, crazy. Uh, Wisconsin is known for their ability to knock back some uh, some beers. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> that is what the root cause of all that was. <laughs> yeah, I imagine the, uh, the atmosphere was probably like 15% alcohol or something, just oh, breathing yeah. in the air. Yeah. It's just like... Just getting drunk by association. Like yep exactly yeah uh-huh okay. well awesome well is there anything else you wanted to touch on with the nba finals slash playoffs uh nope we need to get to our i think more interesting and better discussion of course what yeah. i've been waiting to waiting for i think with the uh best nba nicknames of all time we're probably going to do some nickname lists for other sports with major league baseball and with the nfl and uh those other things as well but there's so many that we decided we had to break this down just by sport and the nba probably has the best list of nicknames i would bet i'd be surprised when we go through the other ones if one of the other leagues or sports has a better list of nicknames in the nba but jordan and i have a compiled our top five nicknames of all time list in the nba and then we have an honorable mentions which i know my list of honorable mentions is pretty long uh, yeah, mine too. Yours probably is too. But um, yeah, do you want to go ahead and get started with that with your number five? What are we doing? Our honorable mentions first, or we'll do those I think, after? I think after. Let's do honorable okay. mentions. Let's do our top five, and then when everyone everyone will be listening, and will be so mad that we left off somebody, and then we'll see. And yeah, we'll hit them, in, them the... in the honorable mentions. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, like Brady pointed out, there's so many good nicknames. This was really hard to make this list, and I'm probably not doing some of the best nicknames justice, but here's what I came up with. So number five, Pistol Pete, Pete Maravich. I feel like that's a good nickname because it also like 
kind of depicts his playing style as well. He was notorious for his uh, quick shooting. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a fun, fun nickname. So that's my number five. His Am I going through all of mine or are we switching off? Let's switch off. Switch off? Okay. Actually, so you no, do you, you do your top five. Go ahead. You do your okay. top five and then I'll do mine. And then we'll see if we have any overlap. Okay, number four. Hakeem the Dream. So Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, really like that one. Um, All-time great with the Houston Rockets. Um, number three, the round mound of rebound. That's a good one. I love that one. Charles Barkley, such a fitting nickname. Very descriptive of his uh, physical stature. Still is. Still is. Even more so now. He's even a rounder mound. I still don't understand. He's one of the strangest athletic people I've ever seen. Because just the transformation that his body has gone through well no, i just mean like, years. like he's only like six six he's not that tall and he's like yeah. the best rebounder ever and i know it's because of his round bound like he has a big butt and like he's able to box people out and stuff but just his well, vertical he's, ability like he's, he's also just very good at positioning yeah for sure yeah like, but like just his vertical ability because he played in a time where everyone had someone who's like seven feet tall Whereas that's not always the case anymore. They're playing small ball these days in the NBA, but everyone had a big center who's huge that he was having to fight for. And yeah, actually, and it never seemed like it was a mismatch. Like when they put the, their seven footers on Charles Barkley, it was like they're not gaining any ground in that matchup. So. He's so athletic for being someone who's not like super tall. It's just impressive mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Anyways, I like that. That's name. great. A bit of a tangent, but. Um, all right, number two, the Black Mamba. Okay. Um, so Kobe Bryant's famous nickname. I just like it. I feel like it inspires fear into your opponent. All right. So my so that was my number two. My number one all-time greatest nickname, Clyde the Glide. Clyde Drexler. Really? I don't know. I just like I feel like it just like rolls really well off the tongue. Yeah. It's like like smooth smooth nickname and he was a smooth player so it's fitting okay so So that's your number one all time is Clyde the Glide Drexler yep all right I don't think I had any of my top five in your top five if that gives if that gives the uh well I think that's good then it's good to have some uh diversity I think that just shows like how many good nicknames there are in the NBA oh yeah for sure that we could separately not have any of them connected but also like none of yours are bad so yeah thanks i appreciate that not as good as mine but they're good so my number five is uh shaquille o'neal's um just plethora of nicknames i just grouped them all together with uh the big aristotle Shaq daddy the big shaktis or diesel depending on which one you prefer superman also the original um, number four, Brian Cardinal, the custodian. I knew that one was coming. The custodian, one of the best names ever. He's like 6'10", white guy, didn't play very much. Uh, he came in to clean up the trash and get uh, trash buckets. And so his nickname is the custodian. Uh, have his autograph on a 2011 Dallas Maverick championship t-shirt. He was on that team, played a little bit. 
Um, shout out to him. And number three, Phil Jackson is the Zen master. <laughs> I feel like it's a great nickname for him. Uh, and then really this one should be number one, but I'm, I have bias here, but uh, Andre Karolinko is AK-47. He's, he's freaking, isn't he Russian? Yeah. He, yeah, he I mean, Russian. that's pretty awesome. That's a really good. And yeah, because his number was 47, so it was like perfect. Yeah. I wonder if he planned that. I don't, I don't know, probably, I don't know. He probably did. But Yeah, I forgot about that one, yeah. honestly. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a really good one. And then number one is David Robinson, the Admiral. Uh, good one. Graduated from Navy. Uh, so yeah, that's my top five there. Um, and then I have several honorable mentions. Do you want to go through yours first? Sure. Um, so yeah, going on with my list of honorable mentions. Um, um, the Storm and Mormon, Sean Bradley. It's a good one. Um, Is it actually his nickname? I feel like every every Mormon person in the world has that nickname. I mean, that's I feel like it was more associated was with him. That's at least okay. what I learned. Okay. You know, I, don't know. I don't know the answer, so. So I think so. Storm and Mormon. I feel like that one's pretty good. Right. Um, the Stifle Tower for Rudy Gobert. Storming. Sorry. That one is good. I forgot that on my list. That's the really Stifle Tower is a good one. That was a good one. Um, Kevin Durant's nicknames, Durantula slash the, the Slim Reaper. The Slim Reaper. I oh, feel like man, those that are should good. have been on my list too. Man, yeah. those are good. Dude, that one's good. I like that one. Um, and then we've got uh, Agent Zero for... Gilbert Arenas. Yep. It was also really good. And then shout out to the GOAT, uh, his airness. I feel like that's also a good nickname. And then the human highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah, so, those are good. So those are my honorable mentions. Let's see. Uh, I have some other ones here. Um, uh, Matt Bonner. It's the, uh, the Red Rocket. Uh, yep, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I mean, Urban Magic Johnson classic and i had i had the dream on here as well and i also had the round mountain rebound uh big shot bob robert ori yeah. the classic uh this one i i forgot about but it's good is brooke lopez is uh splash mountain okay i don't think i've that's, heard that one before yeah, that's a good one i like that one nice. splash mountain um dr j julius mm. irving um also just classic sean marion the matrix Oh yeah, it's been a good one. Um, Chris Anderson, Birdman, mm. as a crazy guy. Um, Jason Williams, White Chocolate, also a good one. And then I have uh, Larry Legend, The Hick from French Lick. So, oh man, I forgot The Hick from French Lick. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. See, yeah. yeah, there's so many good ones. I feel like what we could do. Maybe if we get um, ambitious one of these times, is we could do like a NCAA tournament bracket style, and we pit off the nicknames against each other. So then we can really come up with the true nickname champion of all we time. We should. That'd be good. Except for usually, be... usually people who do that have like people vote on them. And oh so yeah. I don't know if our um, ten listeners would participate in the voting. <laughs> process we can just vote we'll just vote ourselves (laughs) (laughs) that seems really sad yeah uh we'll have to think about how to do that but but yeah well that was fun 
I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. I I aspire to one day have a nickname to to, uh, to be as great as that as any you of those. I hear you had a nickname. In, in I don't know what you're talking about. None of my nicknames in high school were very flattering, so let's not bring that up. <laughs> anyways. Well, anyways, well, that's that's enough basketball. We are we are done with basketball probably for a few months. Um, I said no. Mm. There's. I guess there's the Olympics? The, there's a draft. There's a draft, and there's the Olympics. Um, okay, so there's a little bit, but so there's a little bit, yeah. For the for the uh, for the most part, we're done with the NBA and college basketball. College basketball starts again in November. Yep. Right. So a few months from that, but it's okay because football's coming up, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment. Um, is the big, big news of con- conference realignment and the 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 possibilities that go along with that we'll discuss that and then also some of our favorite um summer olympic sports and uh, some thoughts about the tokyo 2020 summer olympics so uh, join us when we come back in our next segment and welcome back to the Provo Pick and Roll Podcast. Um, this segment, we are going to talk about first college football conference realignment possibilities, and uh, then we're going to jump into a little bit of the, the Summer Olympics, which is just starting now in Tokyo. But but first, with the conference realignment, major, major news has dropped in the last few days, um, saying that the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma have been in discussions with the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, um, about moving to join the SEC and be the 15th and 16th members of that conference. Um, And they have been in discussions reportedly for over six months, some people say to a year. So this is not something that's just started, that's, um, they're just beginning talks. They've had talks behind closed doors for a long time. And this could be something, an announcement could be made within the next week of the SEC in Oklahoma officially joining uh, the SEC. Now, the, the question still remains of when. We don't know um, when they will actually make the transition from the Big 12 to the SEC um, because TV rights for the Big 12 run through 2025 and also there's a buyout situation where UT and uh, OU will have to pay out um, estimates of around 76 million dollars each to buy out the last couple years of their their contract in the Big 12 but um, I'm sure lawyers with those two schools in the Big 12 will be going at it to see what they can get away with and and what would be best for each party, um, or, or like I say, they'll wait till 2025 to make the transition. Although I don't think that's going to happen because I think that would be kind of an awkward four years for everyone yeah. to sit and know that these guys are leaving, but they're still around. And so, yeah. So chances are, if the if the announcement's made and, and this becomes official, um, um, 
that it will happen sooner than later. Um, maybe not next year, maybe next year though, or maybe in a couple of years, but not too far away. And so this is, this is ground shaking, earth shaking um, announcement for, for the big 12, for, for, for UT and OU and Texas A&M and the SEC, but also for college football in general. So we're going to kind of dive into that. Um, I guess from an outside perspective, Jordan, as you're not really a particular fan of any of these teams, how do you see this uh, as far as why UT or OU would do this? Like, what are your thoughts as an outside perspective about the situation? Yeah, I don't know. It is interesting because... I mean, obviously the SEC is like the most respected conference, I would say, in all of college football. Like they get the most hype. Yep. Um, and, you know, they're, they're pretty much the only conference that has a chance to get two teams into the four-team playoff um, with these last few years. Um, so I can see why they would want to be in the better conference. But I mean, yeah, the other I don't know. It's kind of weird because, yeah, the other side of that too is like, I mean, they have to get through all those teams like, Georgia and Alabama and Florida to, to win their conference championship. Um, however, like if they're, if they can make the argument, especially if we switch to the 12 team playoff system, like we talked about in the last, last episode, and they can make the argument that, you know, even if they end up being a two three, or three loss teams, if those two or three losses are to those high caliber teams like that, then they, I guess, have more of an argument to make it into uh, the college football playoffs. So I don't know. It is kind of just interesting. Um, I don't know what I feel about it yet. I don't know if I've really had enough time to really mull it over and mm -hmm. consider what would happen. It would definitely change the whole landscape of college football as we know it. So, yeah, well, I have I have done quite a bit of mulling this over um, as a <laughs> as a Longhorn fan um, for this situation. And really, what it, the main thing it comes down to is money, because I've heard estimates that. UT and OU individually will make $40 million a year more in the SEC really? than in the Because of TV ratings or? Um, yeah, TV deals and um, mm. just kind of the, the uh, um, uh, d disbursement of the, the conference money yeah, coming back to them. Um, they'll make a lot more money in the SEC. So that's a no-brainer to fork out, fork out the $76 mil million then. Right. Yeah, so that that won't even be a big deal if that's the, the kind of number they're looking at because they're going to get that right back from the SEC. So they're going to make more money. Um, they And then they also, there's been a lot of poaching in the state of Texas from outside um, schools, particularly SEC. LSU always has a, a, has a foothold in Houston. And then there's been a lot of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State um, recruiting flips for, for uh, guys inside the state of Texas who most of Oklahoma and Texas come from the state of Texas, they're players um, poaching out of the state. And, and a large part of that is because recruits want to go to the SEC because they see the SEC as the best path to the NFL, as the best conference, and they want to play in that environment and they're losing those recruits. You can look at just looking at A&M since A&M has left. Um, A&M's in a much better position as a program than, we're, than they were in the Big 12. Um, and if you look at the rest of the Big 12, if you take away Texas and Oklahoma, none of those schools really do anything. As far as money, as far as power, as far as recognition, 
Texas and OU have been keeping all of those schools afloat nationally um, for the last decade. Um, so I understand why this move is being made. And if, if they organize the SEC in a way that I would like them to, it could be awesome as a fan because I'm envisioning a conference two division system, although there's been talks of having like a pod system of having four different divisions essentially with four teams in each one. Um, I don't know exactly how that would work, but if you, if you split it into an East and West conference, I'm seeing a West conference of Texas, OU, Texas A&M, Arkansas, um, who all hate each other, which would be great. So that's three games a year. That would be very entertaining. And then also LSU, Missouri, an old Big 12 school, and Mississippi, Mississippi State, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That's a fun West conference. And then you go to the East and you have Florida, Georgia, Bama, Auburn. And then whoever else is in there, like South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, like. Yeah. Man, that's like, that sounds fun to me. It's almost like making two conferences. They're in the same conference, but like. Yeah. Kind of the so own. you don't envision that they would like, like play each other, like the East versus West, if they did it that way. But then they would meet in the conference championship, the um, two top teams of each of those divisions. They would probably play like one or two games across division a year. Um, so they'd play some but yeah. most of your games would be in your division if they broke it up into two East and West divisions, um, which would I would, that's what I would like to see. Um, and the other thing I like about, I kind of mentioned earlier about how it would be the greatest, the conference would have pretty much all the best rivalries in the country. The only one they wouldn't have is Michigan, Ohio State. But you have the Iron Bowl, the Red River Shootout, the Lone Star Showdown, Texas and Arkansas. Arkansas hates Texas more than any other school. So that's another rivalry game renewed. LSU, Texas could be something that starts to brew as a rivalry. And then you have the the cocktail party with Georgia and Florida. I mean, man, that's yeah, that's that sounds fun to me. And and also it's just a nice reminder. It hasn't I haven't really felt this way in a few years, but I love Aggie Tears. Aggie tears are today are delicious because AM does not want Texas to go to the SEC. They've been happy on their <laughs> own um, with their recruiting pitch of being like, we're the only Texas team in the SEC and, and it's done them well. They've, they've got Jimbo Fisher and they're doing a lot better there, but there's a lot of AM fans and, and administration that do not want Texas and Oklahoma to come back and steal their spotlight, which they would. AM would yeah. become fodder again in the SEC if Texas and Oklahoma come. Um, but just hearing all the whining and complaining and carrying on from the Aggies is entertaining as well. Uh, but yeah, that's this is some big moves and uh, will change the landscape of college football. Um, what do you, what do you think happens to the Big Twelve if if this does go down and UT and OU leave? what happens to the fourth or fifth um, power five conference? Yeah, it will, it will certainly be interesting because you're talking about the, the two biggest programs 
being gone. And there's still some um, pretty good teams that, well, I mean, that are pretty, they've had good teams throughout the years, you know, like the Texas Tech, um, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Baylor, all those teams have been solid and have actually been like championship contenders in their respective years. But yeah, I think like you pointed out, without having um, those two big programs in the conference, it won't be as appealing for players to go play in the Big 12 because it'll be kind of just like um, why players before um, wanted to go to the SEC instead of the Big 12. Like it's going to be even worse for the Big 12. The Big 12 is not going to want to – no one's going to want to go to the Big 12, I guess. But it will be also interesting because I feel it will open some doors for some smaller teams like BYU to actually make it into this um, into this conference. So, yeah, what are your thoughts about that, uh, the perspective of BYU potentially joining uh, the Big 12 after all this goes down? Well, it's, it's interesting because the Big 12 has a couple of options. Um, one of them is a death sentence. Well, two of them, actually. One of them, the answer is a death sentence. It will go away. The Big 12 will dissolve. Uh, teams will just try to find somewhere else to go, which I think is a very strong possibility. West Virginia has easy ties to the ACC. Um, the Big Ten could scoop up Kansas, Iowa State. Easily, those are easily Big Ten schools. Um, and the Pac-12 could easily scoop up Oklahoma State and Texas Tech or TCU or Baylor, one of those. Any of those schools could, could go to the Pac-12 pretty easily. Um, so that's a strong possibility that the Big 12 just breaks up. And that's worst case scenario, I think, for BYU. Worst case scenario is the Big 12 breaks up and those schools go elsewhere because that just leaves less spots for them. And, and honestly, the most likely Power 5 conference up until now for BYU to join has been the Big 12 because I don't think it's going to happen in the Pac-12 just from political um, political reasons, bigoted yeah. reasons, in my opinion. Um, the Pac-12 doesn't want BYU. And geographically, it doesn't really make sense for the Big Ten or the definitely the SEC or the ACC to pick up BYU. So that would be worst case scenario, I think, is if it fully dissolves and the other schools find another Power Five conference to join, and there becomes four 16-team conferences, which I think, sadly, I think is the most likely option. The other option is that the Big 12 schools just stick together and they have eight teams and they just stick it out until 2025. I don't know why they would really do that. That's also a death sentence. That basically would just mean it would dissolve in 2025 instead of now. Um, and I don't even think they, if they did that, I don't even know if they'd be considered, I don't think they'd be considered a Power Five conference. I think they would be the best group of six conference yeah. to change that landscape. And then the third option, which would be, I think the best option is if the Big 12 decides just to go full out, we're just going to go for it and try to poach as many teams from some of these other conferences and, and get some new teams and go 16 teams and just go from eight to 16. And so you pick up, you try to maybe see if you can get Nebraska back, see if you can get Colorado back, um, and then pick up like Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, however many teams, maybe like San Diego State or something like that, or Boise State, and go 16 teams and then say, okay, we don't have a Texas or Oklahoma, 
or uh, Alabama or USC or one of those blue bloods, although Nebraska could historically, historically the blue blood, but um, we don't have a really strong premier program, but we have a lot of good programs that are a lot better than what would then be the AAC. If the AAC lost Cincinnati or UCF or something, then or Houston, then that becomes not that great of a conference. Then it becomes a very clear delineation between the group of five and the power five if yeah. that 16 team Big 12 happens. And that's really, that's what BYU wants because then they become, if the Big 12 goes and says, we need 16 teams, BYU immediately becomes attractive. Um, and, and, and also the other option is that even if the Big 12 doesn't pick BYU, if, um, if they go poach a bunch of other schools and poach some schools from the Pac-12 specifically, maybe that gives the Pac-12 enough of a, a need if they get bumped down to like 10 teams to say, oh, we really need, we really need four teams. Apparently we're going to 16 teams. We need four. We don't really like BYU, but we need BYU. BYU becomes much more needed if the Big 12 goes to 16 teams, either way. So, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, kind of what I'm um, gathering is it sounds like it's going to be coming down to money decisions, like what For makes sure. the most sense monetarily, which is kind of unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. Yeah. Um, because I could envision, um, so if I understand this correctly, all of the Big 12 teams have like a TV contract extending to 2025. Is that correct? Yep. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if like all these teams that don't bring in as much money like Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma probably don't have any problems with, you know, money and stuff like that because they have so much money coming in from all these different sources. Yeah, yeah some of the, like, the, the less popular schools, I don't know if they'll be able to pay out, have that buyout um, to go to a different conference. So maybe they'll kind of get, quote unquote, stuck in the Big 12. And then, yeah, like you, like you said, maybe that will open up the, the door for the Big 12 because adding teams like BYU and Cincinnati would definitely increase ratings and they're adding more contracts onto that on, on top of that. So it could, just, it could go either way. I could see it, it panning out the other way as well, though, where the Big 12 decides, like, there's not going to be enough money-making prospects down the line, so we're just going to kind of dissolve now. Yeah. Or, or it could go the other way to where, like, all right, we need to add all these other teams. And I, I definitely would prefer that. I mean, that's probably just me speaking as a BYU fan because I give them – more recognition and more of an opportunity. But I think also as a fan of NCAA football, I think it'd be more intriguing to have the power five remain like in effect, kind of like have the, and they just have the big 12 add all these new pieces of these teams that have been, you know, kind of contenders in the past, but haven't been able to um, make it to the playoffs or anything like that because they have, they don't have a strong enough schedule. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Definitely going forward. Yeah. I would like to see, I would like to see the big 12 go to 16 and then yeah. make kind of almost make the big 10 and the ACC and the PAC 12 go to 16. That's probably what would happen. And so that, if that does happen, that's a lot of moving around. That's why we say that this move is so mm -hmm. earth shattering for the, for culture ball. And it would also change the way that, the new 12 team college football playoff format is perceived. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know if it still hasn't been officially voted on the final vote for that to happen, 
I don't know if it will be voted on if this happens next week with UT and OU. Maybe they say we need to see what happens this year and the next year, and then we'll we'll vote on this in a year or two. But maybe we don't because they they wouldn't need six automatic conference bids um, if the Big Twelve dissolves. Yeah. Maybe you still could say that even if the Big Twelve goes, to, even if everyone goes to sixteen, there's five sixteen conferences. You could there's still within the I think you probably only have five automatic bids at that point. And then you don't want to have an automatic bid for like the, the Sun Belt or no. the uh <laughs> probably not, which or sucks. The big for them, sky sad for them, but yeah, no. The Mountain West. Mountain West, yeah. The Boise <laughs> no. State West, Mountain West. Yeah, it's probably not gonna happen. So yeah. but that'll be interesting. And then this also changes. We just talked about in our last podcast how I was very much on the side of, yeah, BYU go to the AAC now. Like now that they're going to change the rules, once they change the playoff rules and you get an automatic bid as a G5, go do that. Go be the Bama of the G5. Be the biggest and baddest G5 school, and that'll get you in the playoffs. It'll get you a ticket. Um, but now, no, no, like don't, don't, don't go to the AAC until this realignment figures itself out because you yeah. got a chance to go to the Big 12. You got a chance to go to the Pac-12. But even if you don't, even if you don't get either of those, you're probably better off independent than being in the AAC without Houston or without UCF or without Cincinnati. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Um, kind of on my toes to see what happens next. And a little sad, a little sad about the Big 12. I, I grew up Big 12, watching the Big 12 all the time. Um, although... Honestly, the reason why it's dissolving is because ever since 2010, when the Big 12 lost Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, Texas A&M, it just hasn't been the same. Because in the aughts, I could argue the Big 12 was just as good as the SEC. Because Texas was really good then, Oklahoma was really good, um, A&M was okay, and then they had Nebraska was really good, Colorado had times where they were really good. They were great in the 90s, Colorado was. Um, and then there was teams like Missouri, Texas Tech had really good years with Mike Leach where the Big, Do- Big 12 was legit in the aughts but once those four schools left it just became Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and, and Texas hasn't even been good for the past decade so it's really not the same and I think OU and Texas sees that writing on the wall they, say, they see uh, this is going downhill and they're just going to preemptively strike and say we're just going to go lead the charge and do this ourselves. And uh, I think that's the right move for them. I think it'd be the right move for the SEC to take them. And it's definitely exciting for college football. I don't know. I don't know how all these different changes, there's so many different things with the NIL and the playoff changes and the conference. There's a lot going on right now. Um, We'll see if it ends up being um, for the better betterment of the product, but it's definitely exciting for now. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion probably with the um, um, NCAA conference realignment. We will keep you guys posted as we learn more about what is happening with all this craziness, but it'll be fun. And yeah, NCAA football starts in about a month now. So that's exciting. Good to look forward to. Um, But in the sports world right now, don't have a lot going on as far as the other sports like you said basketball season just ended football season hasn't started yet 
baseball is going, but who watches baseball? <laughs> Just kidding. But we have you're, the Olympics. You're going to watch baseball in a couple of weeks. You're going to no, go will. to a Reds game, which is not yeah. really the greatest introduction to professional baseball. You're going to go to a Reds-Pirates game, probably, which is <laughs> like both of those teams are pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Nice. But yeah, we have the Olympics right now to get us through. So um, I guess first off, actually real briefly, I just wanted to talk about kind of like the more um, well-known sports. Um, Obviously, like one thing that I'm really interested in is Olympic basketball. So I just want to take a brief moment and do like an Olympic basketball preview. Um, And then we'll jump into some of the lesser known sports, which we always get exposed to around this time every four years in the Olympics. You learn about these sports that you didn't know existed. But anyways, so just real quick to do a basketball preview. So um, um, the NBA, um, the players for this year's team have actually are better than some in some years past. Like some of the Olympics have been pretty bad with the quality of players. They've actually been able to attract a lot of the star players didn't actually go to the Olympics, but this year, Kevin Durant's there. Um, Damian Lillard is there. And then um, they also have got the players in the NBA finals, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday, which actually just joined the team. I think they're joining the team today and they have their first game tomorrow. So that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Number one, having such a quick turnaround time before, you know, between landing and their first game. But I think the bigger story is having to pair these guys up, you know, Devin Booker and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they were just in an NBA finals against each other. They probably hate each other's guts right now. So to be able to turn around and all of a sudden be teammates and having to work together, I feel like that'll be a very interesting um, scenario, but I feel like those guys, I'm sure in those locker rooms and I'm sure that'll be interesting. And there's already quite a bit of personality on that team as we've been able to identify. I mean, you got, you also got Draymond Green on there, Kevin Durant. Oh boy. I feel bad for Greg Popovich. He's probably struggling with all those people, but anyways, It'll be pretty fun. Obviously, um, the USA basketball team is heavy favorites to win the title, but there's some other really really big contenders that they need to worry about. Uh, I think namely Spain and Australia could both give them a run for their money. And um, USA has actually looked kind of weak in their exhibition games, which were held in Las Vegas. They lost to Nigeria and Australia in those games. Granted, they were down those three players that were playing in the NBA finals, but still they just they look flat. And I want to, I want to point out what I think might be negatively impacting USA basketball. And I think what it comes down to is the way the NBA game is played nowadays. Like we've touched on before, um, the way the game is called is it's, it doesn't allow for the game to be as physical. And there's lots of fouls that are called that, you know, wouldn't be called fouls in the past. And I think because of that, like when the NBA players are shifted into this international type of play, that's a little bit different from the NBA. They are out of their element a little bit. And when the other teams play more physical than they're used to, and they don't get all the calls that they're used to, they, that's why they have been performing uh, poorly. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? 
I just think it's weird because this is definitely flipped since when I was young. When I was young, the the European game was a lot like Europeans were known as being soft. Like you're mm-hmm. European, you're yeah. soft. Like they don't have the they don't have the physical the, the physicality that the Americans do. So when the Americans come and play and they get all these soft rules and flopping and all that stuff, that was a disadvantage for the u.s where it's flipped now to where like now it's a disadvantage because the u.s is soft because the nba is soft mm-hmm. and then we get all the calls and it's like man that's disappointing but yeah oh yeah because it's really interesting because i mean i don't think it's any question who has the most talent yeah i think by far you know the united states has the most talent even but, without even without like their biggest a lot of biggest stars yeah. even there but even without that something close because yeah it's interesting to watch like players like joe ingles and patty mills start to dominate it's you know yeah. these all-stars i was about to say patty like i love patty mills as a spur but like how old is he now he's still out there like being he's the best still Australian. out there and yeah and he and he dominated that game against um the united states yeah so i think it's yeah i think it's just a lot of the nba players are just soft they just need to toughen up. And then I think part of it too is like getting team chemistry together and everything because, you know, these guys aren't used to playing together. Um, whereas some of the other countries are more used to each other. Sure. But yeah. Anyways, we'll see how it plays out. I'll be very, very interested as it progresses um, to see how the USC team does. I just wanted to mention they're pretty disappointing in their um, outing in the 2019 FIBA World Championships. They lost to France in the first round. So hopefully they do better in this Olympics than they did in that, um, in that competition. Anyways, let's move on from that. I just wanted to throw that in there because I find it very interesting. But let's get on to the um, other sports in the Olympics. Um, and as, as, as I mentioned before, there's definitely sports that we get exposed to that we're maybe not as familiar with. So I guess what kind of sport that's not, not like it may be a traditional main sport for you, Brady, are you most excited to watch this Olympics? Um, I guess before I answer that, are you? do you like the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics better? I think Summer. Okay. I was wondering, since you were like Idaho, like Northern Snow person, like if yeah. you like this Winter Olympics more. I don't not. know. I, I do like the skiing and stuff like that, but I don't know. I think there's just more in the Summer Olympics. Yeah. Because like Winter Olympics is basically skiing and snowboarding, different variations of that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm definitely more of a summer Olympics guy. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts yeah. on that, but yeah. Um, my favorite ones other than like, I'm taking out basketball I'm taking out tennis. I'm taking it out. Uh, I guess baseball is in the Olympics now, which actually I'll want to watch, especially because there's not even like very many, there's not really any MLB players. I don't think, I think most of them are playing professionally still because it's the middle of their season, but anyways, that's, I'm taking that out. I'm taking baseball out. The best ones are probably swimming and track, right? Those are the classic. Uh, those are the classic ones that are the most fun to watch. Um, and then there's a couple other ones like, like Taekwondo. It would be pretty fun to watch. Uh, I would like fencing a lot more, except for their their little swords are so skinny. I can't even tell. Can't even see them. Yeah. You can't even see them, so it's hard to, as a spectator sport. I like the idea of it but it's not actually probably one of my favorites, but uh, yeah, probably 
probably swimming and track. Probably my favorite of the Summer Olympics. It's the only time we ever give them any attention. Yep, that's true. What about you? Yeah, definitely all those. Um, but yeah, some sports that I'm kind of excited to watch that I don't really get to watch normally are um, sports like badminton and tennis. Uh, table tennis. Sorry, table, table tennis. Yeah, I forgot about table tennis. Yeah, it's because it's like, it's so interesting because like those are things that I'm used to playing mm-hmm. that like are so low key. And yeah. like, it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just hitting the shuttlecock or the ping pong ball back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. pretty chill. But those guys are so intense. It's insane. Yeah. So that I think those are both going to be fun to watch. And then actually a new sport. I don't, I didn't know this sport existed before, but I just kind of discovered it looking into these Olympics is a handball. Handball. I'm kind of interested to watch that. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like, as far as I understand, it's kind of like a mix of basketball and soccer. So, I mean, it's actually basically soccer, but with your hands. And there's a lot of just guys chucking the ball as hard as they can at other guys, which I find very entertaining. <laughs> and they do like a lot of jumping and kind of contorting their bodies um, to do their different shots. So I think that's going to be an entertaining one to watch as well. Um, along with, huh? Rugby. Rugby's oh, fun. rugby, yeah. yeah. I forgot about rugby. that one too. I'll definitely tune into that. I was going to mention oh. archery as well. I archery. actually kind of enjoy watching archery, especially yeah. having a bow myself. I like really appreciate like the level of concentration and skill that it takes. And so, some of their shots are like 70 meters away. So I'm like, I don't know how they do that. So I actually anyway. went to school with a girl who was in the Olympics last year or last time. She was, oh, in, yeah? she was one of the USA archery um, competitors. I think she moved when we went like went to high school or something, but I grew up in like elementary school. She went to cool. school. So. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look and see if she's in it this year or not. But yeah, but yeah. There's really there's a lot. There's a lot of sports yeah. that are fun. A lot of them are like the basic ones, like we talked about, like there's soccer and basketball and stuff like that. But um, there's a lot of cool sports in the Summer Olympics. So all the people that were saying that that should be the Summer Olympics should be canceled, I I was super sad about those people because. I'm already sad because I was looking forward to the Tokyo Olympics specifically because Tokyo is cool. Uh-huh. Uh, and they didn't get to have as cool of like a opening ceremony or all that. You don't get as much of the interaction with the place because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But the Summer Olympics is the best Olympics for sure. So excited about that. Yeah, I agree. And um, there were actually some new sports this year that were added to the Olympics. Um so that's kind of interesting. On that list of new sports is uh, rock climbing. And they have like different variations of rock climbing, like speed climbing, different free climbs that they, you, you can do. So that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting addition. Yeah. Uh, surfing was also added. Um, skateboarding as well. It was kind of traditionally more of an X Games thing. X Games, yeah. So, but yeah, now that's the Olympics. Um, karate. Um, which I'm sure was influenced by Japan being the host country. That was probably yeah, yeah. a... That's true. Because they are traditionally very good uh, yeah. when it comes to that sport. Um, as you mentioned before, baseball, it's not like a new sport, but it's being reintroduced after a long time of not being in the Olympics. So also um, probably because of Japan. Japan loves baseball. Yeah, Japan does love baseball. So that was probably an influence as well. And then also one more is um, three-on-three basketball. Oh yeah, they're adding that this year. So Who's and it's in that for the U.S. 
Um, so for the men's team, they didn't actually get any NBA players, so they didn't actually qualify oh, for okay. the Olympics. So because yeah, none of the NBA players actually were on the team. They get uh, but, some of the uh, ice cubes, ice cubes, <laughs> three on three. I'm sure probably like the and one teams, uh, like the professor or something like yeah. that. I don't know. I don't know who was on the team. I didn't. I didn't actually learn. But the um, WNBA does have. They did put some players on their three v three team. And I actually did watch a bit of that game this morning. It was actually pretty entertaining because it's so fast. Like they get the rebound and they just go straight back out. So you can just watch for like one minute and there will be like, you know, five or six, five or six shot attempts. I think there's a 12 second shot clock or something like that. Oh, so man. it's actually very fast moving. So it was like pretty entertaining. So I think that would be more fun to watch, especially if they get higher caliber players from the U.S. and stuff like that to play but yeah that's kind of interesting as well 3v3 basketball they should have asked that we should have went for it jordan so we, we were i know byu intramural fourth place team or what i don't know what spot we got we, no, did we, we lose we, in the semifinals i think we were running runners up didn't we lose in the championship i think it was the semifinals that we lost our intramurals match it was the championship in my mind okay well that's what so. the story will be for jordan's <laughs> family and that was that dumb yeah, our 3v3 was self-called, so the opposite player called a charge on me. It was definitely not a charge. We were, like, winning by – Jealous. Like we won the game pretty much. Yeah. Because you made the shot, too. Anyways, I know. No one wants to hear about that, but if you're listening, yeah. whoever that is, you know who you are. And you know. You haven't forgotten, and you should feel bad about yourself. I expect my intramural championship T-shirt in the mail. <laughs> All right. So yeah, so that sums up, sums up the new sports that were added this year. So just to kind of wrap up this segment, Brady and I wanted to talk about what should be the next for the next Summer Olympics. What should be the new sports added then what we think would be entertaining to watch? Um, so Brady, what's what's a sport for you that you feel like should be added? So the one that I wrote down is it's not even really a sport. It's if if you remember watching the show American Gladiators. From like the 80s and 90s is these bunch of like jacked steroided up guys and girls like who faced off against some random people and they were like all in like jumpsuit spandex type clothes and whatever and definitely like 80s and 90s style show and they would battle each other in one of their events was like they had it was like a like a little battlefield kind of like if you ever seen like professional paintball and they have like big things to hide behind and stuff. And you have to like try to, I don't remember exactly how it worked. If you were trying to hit targets on the other side, or if you're trying to get the other people out directly, but you had like different like forms of like guns and stuff that you had to like run and get to. And then when you got to the gun, you obviously could shoot it either at the people or at a target or whatever the game was. And yeah, it was like that. It was pretty awesome. So they should do that, except for make it Olympics. Nice. That sounds cool. Yeah. I what think going this? along with that, like a American Ninja Warrior, like an obstacle course style okay. competition might be cool as well. Okay. Yeah, that'd um, be interesting. Oh, how they would do that. But that just kind of, that show just kind of reminded me of that. So, um, but yeah, the other ones for me, um, one that I actually just thought of was a uh, spike ball. I think spike ball would actually be pretty oh, no. pretty fun. 
Has like, an Olympic I'm not sport. watching people play spike ball. <laughs> it's fun to watch people that like, get like really into it. Yeah. That's like be, it's like ulti- it's like having ultimate frisbee in the Olympics, where it's like, all right, y'all, like this isn't a real sport. Like, but stop, I mean, there's a lot of sports in the Olympics matters. that aren't quote unquote real sports. Mm. Mm, I, they have more respect for me than ultimate frisbee or like. Whatever. You might as well just like play Quidditch if you're gonna put those in. Like just oh, that's play. another one. We should add that one too. <laughs> <laughs> like the World Cup. <laughs> yep. Um, and then the other one that I thought of was hunting. So what I'm envisioning, what I think would be really cool, is if they put these hunters in like this arena. And then they all like wildlife arena. They put like some stuff in the middle and resources, and they all go get it and they shoot each other. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's not Hunger Games. But okay. but no, what is, they they that. like? Maybe they put like one or one or two like deer or elk in this arena with these hunters, and they have to like track the animals. And there's a certain time limit that they have to be under to hunt and pack out the animal. That that should be part of it too. They have to like skin the deer and pack it out in a certain amount of time. I think that'd be very entertaining. I'm not sure how they would go about organizing that or filming that i feel like that'd be kind of hard because maybe the film crew would ruin the um the uh, stealthy the stealthy approach of the hunters for sure but But are you gonna have them like kill like real deer like on tv yeah i guess maybe that's not yeah i don't know you can do that (laughs) maybe not can 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 you have like a, a a rating put on there like like parental advisory is. I mean, um, you could, but it's like on, it's on NBC. You know, like just, yeah. you're just flipping through channels, and then all of a sudden you get a deer with his like, it's just dying breaths. I don't know if that's a great plan. I mean, I haven't quite fleshed out all the specifics for this, but I still think it'd be a great idea. Now, going back to the Hunger Games situation, <laughs> <laughs> um, if they actually did Hunger Games, but like, Obviously, they didn't have like real like swords and stuff, but like if you had like like paintball guns and like stuff like that, that like obviously you wouldn't get killed, but you could tell like if you got like if you got shot, then you're out, or, or just like different kinds of traps or something. Like if you get caught in like a trap, then you lose. Mm. Like I would seriously watch Hunger if they if they really did it like Hunger Games, you put everything in the middle and you have like twelve people from different countries and you just have a bunch of like paintball guns and like different stuff. And then it was just like, you get it, and then they all battle each other until the end. I would totally watch, like, keep track of that. That'd be great. No, yeah, that sounds thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, I would definitely. Yeah, I don't know how they, you would, like, organize that and what all the rules would be, but yeah, you should work on that. We can pitch that for the next Olympics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm too down for that. Especially considering. I wouldn't want this to be, I wouldn't watch this, I wouldn't watch Hunger Games if it was like football, like where it's like every year, every like every week there's a Hunger Games. Yeah. If you did it just for the Olympics, every year there's the Hunger Games of the Olympics. I mean, that'd be pretty awesome. I agree. That would be awesome. Yeah. And I don't know how they would like um, film all that, but. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the same situation as the. Yeah, it might be difficult to film. I guess if they could just have cameras like everywhere. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the first little bit when like a bunch of them get shot or whatever would be 
both amazing and easy to film kind of yeah you have a lot going on at the same time but like man that'd be good tv for like five minutes like that first five minutes yeah that'd be awesome no that would be that would be awesome well i mean i think we should be on the olympic committee yeah these brilliant ideas i don't know if our ideas are very uh our pr approved (laughs) they're good yeah I think all of ours involved shooting things, shooting uh, living creatures. I mean, it makes for good entertainment. So, um, yeah. 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 Okay. Anyways, well, I think that wraps up our discussion of the Olympics. Um, Definitely excited. Hopefully, um, USA steps up and they haven't won any medals yet, but we'll see. Hopefully, they do us good. And yeah. Anything else? Uh, nope, that's it. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next time.